0: But remember these folks in the Sudan. They're some of the most troubled folks in some of the most troubled regions of the world and, and in Africa. And we should help Voice of the Martyrs help them uh, physically with our resources in, in any way that we can. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, Ruler of heaven and earth, we pray for our brothers and sisters overseas who we believe by the thousands have been watching us once or twice a week, for some weeks now, in various parts of the world. We are very, very humbled and we are very glad that so many brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus from across this world have been joining us. I pray for them, each and every one of them, for their needs, for their troubles, for their trials, their circumstances and situations that they meet on a daily basis. Some of them do live in countries where Christianity is persecuted sometimes severely sometimes not so i pray for their freedom and for their liberty such as they have that it would increase but i do pray your will would be perfectly done on and in and through their lives i pray for their ministries there have been numerous pastors who have watched and who've responded to us i pray for their ministries for their churches for the evangelism efforts which they are busily engaged in wherever they live I pray for a friend stateside from different states who've been watching and listening. Please help them through their difficult situations that they've had this past winter and this past year. Reveal yourself to them in a very special way as you know best, as you know fit. But I pray everyone who watches and listens, you will open the minds and hearts of everyone to receive the truth of your word. As your Holy Spirit speaks to us from sacred scripture, your inspired words help us to have the courage and the bravery and the vigilance to translate these words into action in our lives. And I do pray for our country and the dark times we are in and the dark times we may be entering and facing. Help us to walk in the footsteps faithfully of those who have been suffering for your name all around the world for many years now. Help us to be faithful and loyal to you to the end. And I pray for our brothers and sisters in the Sudan, one of the most troubled places in Africa, in this world. Please help these folks in every way that they need, physically, spiritually, for the stability of a very troubled government, civil wars there. Please help them to have peace, and please help us here in the United States as we may to send them literal physical needs. They suffer great hardship and great need physically on a daily basis. Help us to be vigilant to help them in any way that we can, and in particular with our prayers, help Bibles, the Word of God, to be placed into the hands of our brothers and sisters there. And help us to never take for granted the fact that as of this moment, we are free to have the Word of God on our hands each and every day and all the day. Cleanse your church, purge your church in America of its frivolousness, its faithlessness it's compromise, it's cowardice. Help us here to truly become the church of Jesus Christ once again. Loyal to you, to you alone, and to your word, and to the truth of your word. No more compromise. No more. Give us the bravery and the courage we need to be a bright and shining light in an increasingly dark world. And help us to live lives triumphant filled with your spirit and the truth of your word, to give light to those who are in the darkness which is around us. And so may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God, our one and only rock and redeemer. You who are one and only hope, and you who are the greatest hope, the truest hope, the ultimate hope for one and all. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you join me please for the reading of the word of the Lord? Stand please. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 to 21 is the portion of the text we'll explore today. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 to 21. Be careful how you walk or be careful how you live your life. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because these days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even, yes, the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear. Of Christ, these are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. To quote the main idea or the summary of this passage that we're going to unpack this morning from Dr. Clinton Arnold's commentary—wonderful commentary, one of the primary ones I've been studying in our exposition of Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. Dr. Arnold writes, "Both wisdom and the Holy Spirit are essential for knowing the will of the Lord." and living the Christian life. God imparts His Spirit to believers in greater measure through their gathering as a community to worship Him. Isn't that interesting? Let me read that again. In a time when Christians gathering together has been discouraged, in some places has been outright outlawed, for supposedly the public good, the public safety, we will obey God rather than men." He writes, interestingly enough, both wisdom and the Holy Spirit are as essential for knowing the will of the Lord and living the Christian life. God imparts His spirit to believers in a greater measure through their gathering together, as a community to worship Him End quote." Or as Paul writes, let me give you a slightly um, different translation. Therefore, watch carefully how you walk. Therefore, watch carefully how you live. Because of all the truth that I have taught you up to this point, therefore, do this. Therefore, examine carefully or watch carefully how you walk. Pedopateo, a metaphor for how you live your life. Verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So now Paul begins a section of his letter by appealing to believers. Of course, initially the Ephesians 20 centuries ago, and now us in the modern age, as this is sacred scripture written for all believers in any age, he encourages us, he appeals to us to be vigilant and careful, give attention, give priority, believer, to how you conduct yourselves and going about your day-to-day lives, as we would say. Paul wants believers to pursue genuine transformation. The Christian life is not a passive life, it is an active life, and it is always an active life of active transformation. Pursue transformation in your life, so that you will be able to demonstrate, exercise, work out, as we may say, this new life, this new nature that you have received by way of salvation in Christ, or as theologians from centuries past would say, exercise the skills of godly living. Always exercise the skills of godly living. When Paul writes, be careful, I don't know what... uh, Probably a few different English translations in this room. Be careful. Watch carefully. The word that he uses for careful or carefully is hakribos. And Hakribos is a word in the original Greek which means, well, it's a strong word. What he's doing is he's strongly underlining the importance of engaging in intentional and focused moral introspection. That's what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to practice moral introspection. Very intentional and focused moral introspection on your life every day as a way of life. It compares, um, this word is often used to refer to the kind of care that a judge or a magistrate should take in examining a particular case. In Greco-Roman literature outside of the Bible, this word was often used to describe the care or attention or focus that a judge or a magistrate should ideally give to each case that comes before him in a court of law. That's how Paul is asking you to focus and examine and scrutinize your life morally on a daily basis. Watch carefully how you walk. It's a word that means to physically walk. But it's a very popular metaphor at that time. For uh, You'll find it throughout the New Testament. It's a metaphor for, again, as we would say, how you live your daily life, your daily life walk. How do you characterize your life? How would other people examining you characterize your life? So Paul's asking us to watch, to examine, to scrutinize, to focus intentionally on how you live your daily life as a believer. Again, practice very strong moral introspection. And even the pagans did this to a certain degree. I believe it was the pagan philosopher Socrates Who said something to the effect of a life that is not examined is a life not worth living. So even the pagans recognize that a person must practice certain types of moral or philosophical introspection. Examining themselves on a daily basis in order to live their lives wisely and well according to whatever your belief system may be. Even the pagans practice this to a certain degree. And Paul uh, encourages us to examine our lives not as unwise, but as wise. Or you could arguably translate what he says as, not as those who are unwise, but as those who are wise. Sophoi, from Sophia. According to the Greek word for wisdom. So here again we're confronted with the biblical truth that the conduct of daily living for God's people should be characterized by wisdom. So here again we have the desperate... Need for wisdom. A desperate need for wisdom. For each and every one of us. On a daily basis. And I hope this jogs your memory. If some of you have your notes from the earlier parts of the letter. Paul mentions this before. Remember earlier. Paul told us how he prays for these Ephesian Christians. And for all believers really. And Paul's prayer for believers earlier in the letter. Was that God would give them wisdom. That God would give wisdom to Christian believers. Through The agency, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He mentions this in chapter 1, verse 17. We need God's wisdom. Not our own wisdom. We lack wisdom. We need God's wisdom. Not a corrupt world's wisdom. That's disaster. We need God's wisdom. We need wisdom from God, from the Spirit of God, from sacred Scripture, to guide us, to guide our lives, and to conduct ourselves in ways that please and honor God, obviously. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. It's an interesting phrase that Paul uses here. You could translate into English about two or three different ways. It's a very nice metaphor or figure of speech that he uses in the original language. It means to buy back the time. Or your translation may say to redeem the time. A metaphor for make the best use of your time. Why? Because these days are evil. So this verse really ratchets up, if I can use that expression, or intensifies the need to live wisely. Let me quote Dr. Arnold again. He writes, Part of the motivation for ordering one's life around God's ways is due to the characteristics of the times in which believers live. End quote. Paul reminds us, as if we needed any reminding, that the days we are living in are evil. Oh my, I see the head's nodding. We don't need much of a reminder of that these days now, do we? The days we are living in are evil. Therefore, Christian believer, make the best use of your time. Live your life with eternity in view. Invest in eternity, not the evil world around you, which as the Apostle John would say, is already rotting away and passing away and on its way to judgment. Even as we speak. So, Paul reminds us again, <laughs> as if we needed any reminding, that we're living in the midst of a present evil age. These are evil times because we live in an evil age in a dark and fallen world that in his present state is in rebellion against God. We are in the last, most theologians believe, sacred scripture tells us, the last great age of history. The age of the church. The last days. The last days which began at the ascension of Christ. And one of these days, the last day will be the last day when Christ returns. It is the age of the church growing and manifesting and spreading Christ's inaugurated kingdom through this world. But the kingdom is not completed yet. It will be completed when Christ returns. And yet this world in its present state is in evil days and rebellion against the Creator, Redeemer, God. An age full of evil and evil people, sin and sinful people, And an age which will come to an end. And it's going to come to end in condemnation and judgment. When the conquering king and the cosmic judge returns. Some days we may think that day may be rapidly approaching. Some days perhaps not. That's not our business to know. That's his business to know. But as the apostle John told us in his three letters that we studied earlier in the year don't be married to this world you christian believer are to be married to the great bridegroom as the bride of christ this world is already on its way out it is rotting away even as we speak and it will come to an end when the great king returns live your life for the grand prize the grand goal the coming day know the times in which you live So as to navigate wisely and well through this life on your way to the eternal kingdom. The world which is on its way. The age which is on its way. The age which in the big picture is soon to arrive and knows no end. So therefore, buy back, redeem, make the most of your time. It's a good figure of speech. It's a good metaphor. What he's saying is make the very best use of your time each day that you live for the sake of the Christ and for the sake of his kingdom. Not for the sake of what's dark and passing away around you. Make the very best use of your time, your resources, your efforts, your abilities. Make the best use of all that one has and all that one is. Living with eternity in mind and eternity in view. Make the most of any and every opportunity that you have every day to serve God wisely and well. Allow me to quote Dr. S. M. Bao from his commentary that I have here this morning. The main thing, he writes, the main thing to note here is that this lends urgency to the seriousness of which believers must take care to conduct their lives. It also qualifies that although believers are citizens of a new creation, which is on its way, and do enjoy blessings of that reality now, yet these things are experienced in the middle of an evil age, because the kingdom of Jesus is in this world but is not completed yet. The new creation is not yet fully or finally arrived. So walking wisely means not only living with ethical purity and integrity, but aggressively doing good and spreading the kingdom and proclaiming the message of the kingdom. End quote. Verse 17. So then do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. Do not live foolishly. Do not do foolish things. He's saying. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here Paul tells us that we are to if we are to live wisely, we must discern how God wants believers to think, think and act in every circumstance and every situation that we find ourselves in on a daily basis and what what we do with whatever is thrown our way on a daily basis, how we react, how we deal with whatever comes our way in our daily life walk, as Paul would say. Do not be foolish, but understand. Do not be foolish, but understand with what? With wisdom. Right? Do not be foolish, but understand with wisdom. Again, here. How many times in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all 66 books, how many times do we find ourselves being confronted with wisdom as contrasted to foolishness over and over and over throughout the entire divine library? How many times are we confronted with proper understanding, proper thinking, compared to foolishness? Let me give you a little idea. Seventy-four times or more in the Old Testament alone. Not counting the New Testament. Paul uses kind of a harsh word for uh, foolish in the original language. Haphon is a word he uses for foolish in Koine Greek. It means lacking sense, lacking, obviously, wisdom... Lacking proper understanding or lacking proper prudence in your thinking. Uh, Sometimes this word in Greco-Roman literature was actually used as an insult, as a perjurative. It was often used as as an insult, meaning something like idiot or fool. Pretty strong word. The Ephesians would have responded to it immediately. Paul is saying, uh, don't be this way. Don't be a fool. Don't be an idiot. Live wisely and well with proper understanding. Do not be this way. Be wise. Be understanding. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. So Paul wants Christians to have a proper, wise, accurate, intelligent grasp of God's will in Christ. That's what he's saying. I want you to know what God's will in Christ is for you and how you should live your life. Now this phrase. Notice what he says what the will of the Lord is. Lord is kurios. In certain contexts, meaning absolute Lord and Master. It is a title that over and over in the New Testament is given to Jesus specifically. So Paul is saying specifically, Know what the will of the Lord Jesus is. Know what the will of Christ himself is. To know the will of the Divine Son is to know the will of the Divine Father. Dr. Bau, I quote him again from his commentary, he writes, That is to say, Paul wants us to see things as Jesus sees them. As the Lord sees them. Know reality as the Lord knows reality and has established and defined reality. Make Jesus' will or judgment the standard of your own. And the rule of your conduct. Well, will here, will, meaning the will. When he speaks of knowing the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will here is God the Father's revealed will in Christ. God the Father's will. God the Son's will. And this will may be accessed by wise application of biblical revelation. This occurs at the crossroads of life that believers encounter in this age. End quote. That's a good quote. You want to know what the will of Christ is? Where can you go to know what the will of Christ is? Right here. How can you know what the will of Christ is? Go here and then go to Him and pray about it. Seek His guidance, His wisdom, His advice about it. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me offer you this translation as well. Do not get drunk with wine, which is senseless waste. That's a more uh, literal translation from the original Greek. He uses a phrase there, which uh, we often translate as uh, disillusion or dissipation, something like that. But you could, well, really, literally translate it as senseless waste. That's what the phrase really means in Greek. Don't get drunk "...with wine, which is just senseless waste, but instead be filled with the Spirit." And of course, the word Spirit there is capitalized. He is referring to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of the believer. So now Paul calls upon Christian believers to surrender themselves, their minds, their way of thinking, surrender or yield their lives to the influence of God's Holy Spirit." rather than placing themselves under the influence, as we say, of some mind-altering or mind-numbing substance. Now, in the first century AD, it was obviously, chiefly, some form of alcohol. Now, they may have been abusing some sort of plant substances to alter their mind or alter their consciousness, especially in very strange and bizarre pagan ritualist practices. But according to the Dionysus cult, the Bacchus cult, and others, They really were literally getting stone-cold drunk on wine to come into closer contact with their pagan deities and, of course, committing all sorts of, as Paul would say, foolish, senseless, and immoral acts and destroying themselves physically and mentally, which is senseless waste, as Paul just said. That was very much the problem in the 1st century AD. Well, that's very much a problem in the 21st century AD now, isn't it? And this probably is a little more dangerous for us in our time than perhaps it even was in the first century AD. Because folks, obviously we in the 21st century have a lot of different ways in which we can destroy ourselves more so than the Ephesians did. The Ephesians had alcohol by which they could destroy themselves. How many different ways from Sunday, pardon the expression, do we have in the 21st century to destroy ourselves? By wrecking our health and our minds. Every type of drug coming and going that you could possibly imagine people use to destroy themselves. And of course, alcoholism is a terrible problem. Does this ring a bell? How about the opioid epidemic? Which is destroying this country and is bad in other parts of the world. Here's the relevance of the sacred scriptures for our lives. Don't be under the influence of that stuff. It's senseless waste. It'll destroy you. You Christian believers should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God himself, the third person of the Trinity, and listening to him speak to you out of sacred scripture and translating his words into action in your life. There is life, not destroying yourself, Fill your mind with His truth. Fill your mind with the Spirit. Fill your mind with truth and with power. Don't put your mind under the influence of something that's going to make a fool out of you and destroy you, your mind and your health. Be under the influence of the Spirit of God, Paul writes. And this is a common reoccurring theme or subject, at least the alcohol issue, which runs throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. To be filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God is to have self-control, is to be in control of your life. And Paul mentions this in another letter. To be filled with the Spirit of God is to have self-control. Remember the fruits of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life? Galatians chapter 5. According to Paul's letter to the Galatian believers in chapter 5 of that letter, to be filled with the Spirit is to have what? Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit of God indwells all true Christians. And Paul wishes for all believers to have and experience God's Holy Spirit in an ever-increasing measure. So be filled with God's Spirit, who is life and gives life. Don't fill yourselves with things that will destroy you and make a fool out of you. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So instead of getting... Drunk and making a senseless waste of your life. Instead, do this. Instead, take my recommendation that I'm giving you here in verse 19. Instead, you should be doing this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, this is interesting. Let me offer this translation as well. Address each other in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Or songs by the Spirit. That's Even a more literal translation. Sing and make melody with your hearts to the Lord. So now Paul tells us... (laughs) So now Paul tells us that the regular, faithful gathering of Christians together to worship God and sing praises and spiritual truth, this is one of the very means by which believers are filled with His Spirit. This is one of the very ways in which believers demonstrate that they are filled with His Spirit. Let me read this again. I wrote this carefully. This is an important point that he's making in this text today. He is telling us that the regular faithful gathering of Christians together to worship God and to sing praises to God and to sing scriptural truth, this is one of the very means by which believers are filled with the Spirit or a greater measure of His Spirit. And this is one of the major ways or means in which Christians demonstrate that they are filled with His Spirit. One of the ways in which a Christian may be filled with the Spirit, again according to Paul, is to gather as the church for corporate worship. What Paul is describing here can only be achieved when Christian believers gather together. Speaking to one another. You can't really do that by yourself now, can you? speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the spirit or by the spirit singing and making melody with your heart to the lord he's talking about christians gathering together for corporate worship there paul is saying that god meets his people and he strengthens them by and with his spirit as or when they corporately worship him and praise him that's very important very important in the book of acts let me give you just one example if you want to go back and see this truth this principle in action go back and look at the book of acts in the book of acts you often encounter the holy spirit very much at work and very active in the minds and hearts of christian believers during their times of meeting together during their times of meeting together for prayer for the proclamation of the scriptures as it was written then and for worship speaking to one another by way of psalms speaking to one another by singing hymns speaking to one another by spiritual songs songs probably inspired by the holy spirit in other words probably singing the bible itself singing and making melody with your heart to the lord always giving thanks again together we should do this privately we should we should do this together Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And as you are with one another, be subject or defer to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay. Psalms, when he says Psalms, you could some people believe that that just means a song. And I don't know about that. I believe he may literally mean sing the book of the Psalms. For centuries and centuries, the book of Psalms was the hymn book for Christians. They literally put the Psalms to music and they sang them. Some folks still do that to this day. Regrettably, many of us have have lost that. But I believe Paul, as a first century Jew and first century Christian in particular, he may have encouraged them to literally be singing the book of Psalms in their worship. Hymns, yes, he simply means a song. But when he says a hymn, he means sing the Bible. Sing biblical truth. The best hymnody be out there is, are hymns or songs that you are simply, literally singing the Bible itself. You are putting the verses of sacred scripture to music. That's the best Christian music. I know sometimes a lot of people like the 7-Eleven songs. Pardon me, I'm going to make somebody mad at me here or somewhere else. You know, you sing the same seven songs 11 times. Sing the Bible the best songs, whatever they are, you are simply singing the truth of sacred scripture. I believe that's what Paul means here. That's what he's saying. Sing biblical truth. Proclaim biblical truth, especially in their time, in other parts of the world, because many of these people were illiterate and written materials were extremely expensive that many people could not afford. So the early church taught folks scriptural truth by way of setting it to music. And by singing it, that's how these folks in the Sudan that we're praying for today, they don't have Bibles. Many of them do not have Bibles. They're learning it by way of song or by way of poetry. Sing Scripture. When he says songs inspired by the Spirit, a little more on that shortly, because the word he uses is pneumaticos, in which probably the best translation is not spiritual song, but a song of or by way of the Holy Spirit. Sing with your heart, the core of your being, to God, all about God, all about the Lord, not about us. And again, note spiritual songs, it's pneumaticos. it's of the Spirit. Songs which are inspired by the Spirit of God. If in doubt, sing the words of sacred scripture. They've all been inspired by the Spirit of God. When we gather, the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, should be filling us and leading our worship. That's what corporate worship is to be. And corporate worship is a major means, again, to hammer this truth home, by which the Spirit of God fills and strengthens and empowers God's redeemed people. And again, note, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Lord is curio, specifically Jesus, God the Son, the Lord Jesus. Singing and making melody in your heart. That's where it starts. That's the origin Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is for, this is to, this is about the Lord. It is not about us. That's what true worship is. It's not self help, it's not therapy, it's not entertainment. It is to the Lord Jesus Christ, to Him, about Him, focused on Him, not self centered. Centered on Kyrios, the Lord, the Christ himself. And in your heart, or with or from your heart, the word he uses there is cardia. Again, it means literally your, your heart to pump blood in your chest, but it's often used metaphorically, as we use the word heart metaphorically. I've given to you, this to you a number of times. Cardia in this context means your inner self, the inner man, the inner woman. Heart and soul, as we would say, the very core Of one's being. That's where you are to praise and worship God. That's where the source is. That's where it starts. That's where it comes from. That place which should in the first place. Be filled with the spirit. That's where worship should come from. Verse 20. Bringing this. Particular section to a close. Always giving thanks for all things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God. Even the Father. So. Give thanks at all times in behalf of all. So what Paul's saying here is, his inspired instructions here are, that Christians should constantly express together, and yes, alone, alone and together, gratitude and thanks to God the Father through or by way of Christ for everything that he has done for us in Christ through Christ or by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, Paul writes, is to be a way of life for us. It's to be of defining characteristic for all Christian believers, for all things. Who per panton? For all things, meaning everything, absolutely everything that God has done for us. Everything large, everything small, everything in between. And we are to do this always. It is to be a life habit. And lastly, verse 21, it's kind of an interesting thing to say or to conclude this section of his teaching before he moves on to affairs of the household in Christian families and Christian marriages, he says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's an interesting little remark to make. Some of your English translations will say, or submit to one another in the fear of Christ. So here Paul's encouraging believers to take upon themselves Humility. You have to have humility if you're going to obey his instructions here. To take upon them, Christians should take upon themselves humility. I would say self-sacrifice. And most certainly concern for and towards other Christians. If you flip forward a few pages in your New Testament, he basically says virtually the same thing in Philippians. If you want to go with me there, turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says something very similar. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 states, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than themselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Sound familiar? It's basically stating the same thing. Exercise humility amongst other believers. Go to the point of self-sacrifice in your relationships with other believers. Have genuine concern for other believers and put the concerns of other believers even above the concern your own concerns. Really care for and towards these other people. This is essential for life in the church. It's essential for life in the Christian community. In other words, submit here. Submit here is not to be viewed as a negative. It's to be viewed as a positive. The word that he's using for submit does not mean some sort of He's not saying you have to walk, walk around making yourself a doormat for everybody else. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, um, look at this as a positive. It's not subjugation, it's love. It's kindness. It's respect. It's self-sacrifice. Or let me put it this way. Maybe this word will describe what he's asking you to do, perhaps better He wants you to willingly, happily defer to one another, as we would say. Defer to one another. Defer to your Christian brother and sister out of love for them. Focus on the well-being of one another, he's saying. And what's the primary motivation for this? Jesus Christ our Lord He Himself always is the standard and the measure and the rule. And He Himself is always the chief motivating factor for obeying anything in sacred Scripture, for obeying any command or exhortation of the apostles. The fear of Christ. The word for fear that He uses there is phobos. Sound familiar? Have you got any phobias? Phobos is where the word phobia comes from, meaning fear, but there's certain nuances to this word phobos. It means fear, yes, or reverence or respect. Are do we are we to really have fear for Christ? Oh yes. He is the divine judge and we are answerable to him. Are we to have reverence for Christ? Yes, we are to have reverence for Christ for he is God almighty the son himself. Are we to have respect for him? Yes, for he is king of kings and lord of lords and lord of our life if we are true recipients of the salvation He won for us. We obey these commands out of fear and reverence and respect for Jesus Christ, the Lord Himself, the head of the church, the great bridegroom of His bride, the church. So out of a holy awe and reverence due to Christ and to God and God and Christ alone, we are to behave this way towards other believers for His sake. For His sake, ultimately. Last word of the day. I give to Dr. Bao and his commentary. He has an interesting little section at the end of each of his chapters in his commentary to Ephesians. It's called Application and Devotional Implications. He has some interesting things to say. He writes here, So the Apostle Paul has encouraged all members of the church to sing, praise, and rejoice in the Lord. As noted, all Christians have this privileged role in the church's worship as the new creation priesthood, or we call this the priesthood of all believers. But this is a new creation inaugurated in this world. It's not yet completed. We still live in an evil age. This is the great hope for the future, the great hope for the future consummation of Jesus' kingdom, when he returns in a new heaven and a new earth. And in this kingdom, there will be no more need for an encouragement To sing like this. Oh, yes, brothers and sisters, there will be one thundering, great angelic summons to sing at the start. As Revelation 19, verses 6 to 8 states Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty One, has entered into his reign, his completed reign. Let us rejoice and be exultant and give him glory, for the wedding feast of the Lamb of God has come and his bride has prepared herself. And it was granted her to robe herself in radiant, fine linen. But after that last invitation, we will never need any more prompting to sing and give heartfelt glory to our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For the joy of His presence will erupt from us in song forevermore. Think of that the next time you experience even a tiny foretaste of that great day in worship when you are alongside your brothers and sisters in the Lord on the Lord's day. Well said, sir. What we experience here on Sunday mornings and our tiny little gatherings, compared to what's coming on the day of days when the king returns, our imaginations can't even conjure it or even handle it at this time. But remember, that day is coming. That day is coming. It's a fact. As I like to say, like the weather we're having today is a fact. Live wisely and well for that day. It may be coming sooner than later. Who's to say? Sovereign or God or Heavenly Father, thank you for these kind brothers and sisters who have come to hear you speak to them out of your word and to translate those words into action in their lives. And I thank you for all the brothers and sisters in this nation and around the world who are joining us today and in the days ahead. May these words bless them and fill their minds with your spirit and their hearts with your spirit and assist them in translating these words into action and work in their everyday life, wherever they are, wherever they are in this world. Help us to live life wisely and well. We all, as one, the bride of Christ, on our way to our eternal home, giving you honor and glory in all we do, not living foolishly, but wisely and well on the way to our eternal home. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. To dismiss.